This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Well, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe like it, maybe you don't. Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take plays, films, and more that have never been staged before or are never likely to be staged again, and we talk about how we'd stage them. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Happy New Year, Jake, and happy new lockdown. <laughs> happy happy new everything. I mean, I, we're probably going to be releasing this when it's kind of inappropriate to say Happy New Year, to be honest. Yeah, this but, is true. This is true. But um, So Happy New February, everyone, yes. is probably what's going to be happening. <laughs> I don't know. Or Happy End of January. We're not, we haven't really decided yet. Either way, we are this week joined by a producer who describes herself as generally unemployed, Eve Stollery. All right, everyone. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Eve. I don't know what to say. I never can introduce myself well. <laughs> Eve, what have you been up to recently? You've been, you've actually been busy. I've actually had a job. It's been very nice. Well, I did a bit of producing. I produced like a short series of audiobooks with a theatre company near me, so kind of up north, Halifax way. So yeah, lots of kind of microphone stuff. So hopefully all my microphone stuff sounds all right, but it could sound awful, in which case I've been lecturing all the actors kind of unfairly. But <laughs> yeah, so I've been doing that and then I'm just volunteering with them actually quick shout out to northern broadsides thanks for employing me because yeah <laughs> <laughs> fantastic fantastic and uh yeah those those audiobooks are awesome um and i'm sure we'll talk about more about how we can find them later on um but you've brought us a film to discuss how we put on in our hypothetical stage what film's that it's the invisible man um which came out i think it came out in i don't know february 2020 it came out just before the pandemic hit so yeah Yep. It was it was pretty much the last sort of like big film to yeah. to hit the cinemas before um, everyone went into lockdown. Produced by Blumhouse, who did the Paranormal Activity films, they're kind of well known for the, doing these really low budget um, horror films. Uh, and directed by Lee Warnell. This is actually only his second feature, and he's got a, quite a sort of specific visual style, which I'm sure we'll get into later on. But yeah, Eve, why don't you give us a, a little rundown of the plot? Um, before we sort of launch into the main conversation so people know where we're up to. Okay, so um, the movie kind of starts. There's a woman called Cecilia. So she's played by Elizabeth Moss. Um, and she's basically, the movie starts where she's escaping from an abusive relationship with her husband, Adrian. And so her sister, Emily, comes to rescue her. She manages to escape. And then it flashes forwards to a few weeks later where she's moved in with her kind of friend slash police officer, James, and his daughter, Sydney, tries to live a normal life, but her kind of anxiety and PTSD kind of starts to intervene with that. And then one day her sister turns up and says, your husband Adrian's killed himself. And um, Adrian's brother, Tom, says that all of this money has been left to her in a will. When she was escaping at the very beginning, she basically notices this sort of weird machine and her husband, Adrian, who happens to be an optics specialist, um, she believes has created an invisibility suit. And so she starts 
to believe that she's being followed around because weird things start happening like a knife falls off the table the door opens randomly at one point there's some kind of footprints on a um on a kind of duvet that's been pulled off the bed it all is very much kind of domestic related um problems but then everyone else thinks that she's quite paranoid because of what happened. Eventually, she finds his phone in the attic, throws a bucket of paint, which ends up covering this figure that's kind of in a suit in her house. And so she can't tell who's under this figure. There's a big fight scene that runs away. Um, she goes back to her husband's house and finds that that machine that she saw earlier is a machine used to build invisibility suits. So she hides one in the house runs away and then goes to meet her sister in a restaurant, explains all of this to her. Then suddenly, just out of nowhere, the, this knife starts floating, slits the sister's throat, and then this knife kind of ends up in her hands and she's taken to an asylum. Long story short, she then escapes from the asylum because she gets into a fight with this invisible man, which she stabs. And so the suit starts flickering. And so she escapes from the asylum, he escapes, and she basically goes back to her friend James's house and kills the man in the invisible suit who is trying to kill James and his daughter Sydney. Turns out the invisible man is actually Tom, Adrian's brother, the one who told her about the will, and that Adrian was locked up in a cellar. Um, but Cecily doesn't believe this, um, Cecilia. So she goes to Adrian's house. He says something that makes her believe that it was him all along. And then what she does is she puts on the invisibility suit that she hid earlier on in the film. And because there's so many security cameras in the house, she makes it look like he's slit his own throat for the security cameras. And then it ends with her walking out of the house with the suit. I think that covers everything. There's everything that happened. Yeah, I think I think it does. I, that was, yeah. I think that's the best summary we've ever had. Well, thank, it, you thank you very much. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that she finds out when she's in the asylum that she is pregnant with oh, Adrian's. Yeah. Um, child and that sort of it, it adds sort of like an extra level of stakes to the the whole situation um, of you know will uh, you know he he wants her because she's got his child um, and she wants to escape him because she doesn't want her child to be raised with him um, so yeah it's but that I mean yeah that is probably the best summary we've had on the show <laughs> very much covered it all but an English um, degree does for you you can sum things up really yeah. well <laughs> okay so. Let's jump into it. How okay. are we going to put this on stage? I have many questions, but I guess we should start with a general idea. I think that, well, because the one thing I initially, when I watched it, I thought, oh, this would be great in like a black box kind of space. However, when I watched it again, I found that I felt, I don't think the film kind of tries to be claustrophobic. It uses like the, the house that she's in at the beginning is a massive wide open space. And so I think something similar should be done with the stage layout instead of it being like a small box space with kind of a, a small number of audience members. But I wonder what everyone else thinks about that. Any thoughts? Yeah, because like watching through, at first I thought actually potentially there's a way we could cut that opening scene and the two settings we could use were James's house and the, mm -hmm. the hospital, the, the uh, asylum that she goes to. Uh, but then she returns okay. back to Adrian's house at the end, uh, which, and it's quite important that she does, um, because her returning to that space is quite a, a, an important part of the story. Um, I did wonder about like thinking about this in terms of somewhere like the Nationals main stage, 
um, sort of really big thrust stage that you can kind of do anything with. And that way we could potentially go about building all three of these settings and, and having some way of swapping between them. Yeah, and I guess the extra thing as well is that it's quite important that her sister gets murdered in a public place, but I guess that's quite easy to create very quickly and take away. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I guess my main my main thought about the gen- general staging of this is this idea that the camera in this film it is a very cinematic film, as quite a lot of the films we've done recently are. It, the camera in this film... It comes around corners with us. It turns around. It looks into the dark, and then the and then we see what it's looking at after yes. it's shown us it, sort of thing. And I wonder my issue with the kind of big open space, and in principle, without thinking about this part, is how we create that effect of like, oh, what's around the corner? What's yes. over there? We've just heard a thing, you know. Of it, we can try and work with. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the tension in this film in the first hour at least is almost entirely created with sound before we're certain that there is this invisible man there when we're not sure whether it's real it's all created with sound where and it's also it's not it's not um i can't remember what the word is it's not sound that's in the space it's yes it's like it's a musical right yeah that's it non-diegetic it's a it's a the musical note here even the dog doesn't bark it makes a musical note sound right at the beginning which i thought is i thought it was really strange but it was this thing Mm -hmm. where it's like we're being told to be shocked but not actually hearing things other than i think when the uh the sizzle of the pan makes that noise that's the only i think that's the first real sound that we hear that is supposed to give us a jump yeah and yeah so sorry i've I've gone off topic but this yeah this i guess you have to do i don't know in in this (laughs) big space i don't know how you create that sense of something's around the corner and now we're gonna look for it yeah it's it's about drawing attention isn't it and it's about how do you do that in a way that is exciting for an audience when they can see everything that's playing out in the space or everything that's not playing out in the space as well? Um, because like you say, the film, the film, you know, the, the way the, the director uses the camera in this film in the opening is it's all about showing us things that aren't there. And there's, there's lots of like lingering shots on just empty spaces to, to suggest that there is someone there or something there. And then later in the film, yeah, like once the action ramps up, it's these, these sort of very clever jerking movements uh, that sort of draw our attention to very specific pieces of action in a very specific way, very sort of overtly stylized. And it's like, how do you bring that into a stage space? I certainly think in terms of that building tension in the first half, actually there's a way of doing that with lighting of drawing our eyes to an area. So even you could have your main character, you know, she could be going about, you know, there's a, there's a specifically like a scene where she's like getting dressed or like doing makeup or something like that. And, 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 but then the camera just like pans around and just like spends time looking in a corner of the room and then it comes back to her. Um, and nothing happens in that scene. It's just, it's all suggestion. I wonder if actually there's a way of doing that where you can, you can slowly bring all of the lights down apart from lights on this one corner of a room and then like bring that back up slowly. And it's all about just suggesting something might be there. Um, but with, without actually sort of like overtly showing anything. Um, and, and I wonder whether that could build a sort of tense atmosphere within the space. Um, yeah, without having to like, you know, like, we're, yeah, without it just being boring, but, uh, but also like without it being like, here's a spotlight of where someone might be, but they're not there. Um, if that makes sense. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's really, cause I think that's the thing. It's, it's about, you're right, drawing the audience's attention, but without, because I think a lot of in stage plays, people do that with either sound or getting the characters to kind of look over there. But you're right in the film, you've got this 
particularly the first half of the film, it's just the camera telling us where to look, not the characters or anything like that. And I think something I thought and picked up on in the beginning of the film that's quite interesting is the very, very first part when she's escaping from the house is the use of security cameras and this kind of her keeping an eye on him and then for the rest of the film it's as though the camera that we're looking through is like acting as a security camera because it's kind of moving to focus on this space except there's nothing there and I just thought I wonder if there could be some kind of not necessarily security cameras but I think that's such an important part of the film is this idea of being watched the use of security cameras that maybe something like that could be incorporated into kind of yeah. focusing the audience's attention on a blank space basically yeah i think that's a fantastic point about the, su- the surveillance camera behavior of what the camera does i know caleb you know a bit more about this kind of technique that we're talking about about keeping people in in the middle of the frame as well but there's also that scene where she's making breakfast and she leaves the frame of the camera and the camera just stays there for like yeah. a minute when when we can't hear anything and i think the interesting thing is on stage that's not that unusual it's quite it's quite usual for someone to leave the frame of the stage space because it, it can't move and it's quite usual for us to be maybe be left with no one on the mm-hmm. stage for a few seconds or even even half a minute if something we can hear something yeah and so that kind of that effect is not achieved in the same way it can't be yeah i, I it is it's interesting because that moment and then there's also the moment during um about the midway point in the film when uh, the invisible man fights her in in james's house there's also a moment where we have the camera i imagine the way they filmed it is they had it on railings on on the ceiling or, or well you know it's not a ceiling it's a studio but you know above her and we see the whole space the, the kitchen the diner and the space through to the lounge and the whole space is framed for us before we then see the fight take place in that space and the great thing about theater is we don't have to frame a space for you before you see action take place in it because you're going to see the action take place in it so i definitely think in terms of part of part of the what what would make this a good production, I guess, is building a really good uh, and effective sets to be used for these set pieces um, from James's house and from the um, the the asylum as well, and if and building uh, you know effective sets that you can use for action and are interesting dynamic spaces for the actors to work in in those two areas would be a really yeah, an interesting way of being able to like frame these spaces without needing a camera to capture them in specific ways. I, yeah, the way to do that, I mean, I guess part of the way I've been thinking about it is um, I watched back in first lockdown the NT Live of Treasure Island and mm. they do this thing where they have like these bits of staging that can come out from the the floor of the staging and in the first half it's like a ship so they're, they're on the top of a ship and then suddenly just like the ship just lifts up and we've got like four floors worth of a ship of underneath um and it's amazing i'm not explaining it very well no actually i think you talk about this next macnar episode i think you mentioned I the same did, thing but I, yeah. yeah but yeah the olivier stage has that capability of of spinning and bringing things out and, bringing, yeah. and making things appear quickly and efficiently without people bringing it on essentially <laughs> yeah i i wonder whether with using a space like that or specifically that space whether you could build underneath the set the stage both of these um spaces that james's house and the asylum and whether you and then you could raise them at the, the the relevant points when we need to see those spaces um and and you can then rotate them but then also because you've, you've got this full rotation as well you can build spaces that have corners and we can see 
a chase take place where the stage can be rotating and as she comes round a corner as the stage rotates into view something you know part of the danger is is brought into the view of the audience and what's great about the thrust space is it will be brought into the view of part of the audience before it's brought into the view of the other part of the audience and so you get that sort of like sense of like unease spread across the room as well i think that would create a really tense atmosphere because even if you can't see it you can see that other people are seeing it and that that itself is quite scary and sort of anxiety inducing i also wonder with like the kind of talking about the staging having things moving and kind of when it comes to the staging of the asylum i think it would be interesting if at one point in terms of like entrances and exits i think part of the interesting thing about this film is also this idea of isolation and i wonder if when you're kind of staging the asylum whenever people leave the room if maybe the entrances to the walkways onto the stage are lowered so the asylum is just on its own and it's just her in this room and she can't escape so kind of thinking about how the entrances are working as well particularly to kind of reflect how she's feeling in a certain time of the film or the script yeah if it was as if like the rest of the space fell away and it's just that's that little box that she's in is the only thing visible to the audience that would be really interesting yeah i I like the idea of as well it's not only is she isolated but she's isolated and there's someone with her it's such a a unique picture it creates of like Mm -hmm. she's she feels so so alone and yet there is literally a man standing next to her which is such a bizarre (laughs) thing to do and again this this surveillance point you make eve the point that like because he's unseen and we can skim over out the fact that like it would be impossible not to be heard in fact how just the whole concept is completely completely impossible but anyway (laughs) the the idea that you know if if you are unseen you you can't be surveilled yeah you can just walk into a prison you know and 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 no one would ever know you you were there yeah i thought that's interesting as well because there's a there's a moment early in the film where she's looking at her laptop and she's she's reading an article online about how people look at you through your webcams um which i think is something that people i think everyone has some concern about that right a lot of people a lot of people i know cover up their webcams because there's a, a concern about that and anxiety around <laughs> yeah, that i find it quite funny <laughs> well yeah i mean because uh, there is a certain part of me that's like oh, if they're going to look at me and all my stuff they've probably already done it so it's a bit late but um but yeah and I, also why why do people want to look at your stuff well, like, yeah, that, that's yeah. the thing for me but, but anyway but yeah what, <laughs> I, I think what's interesting though is that actually like this film is just is is a realized version of that in that like it's just oh they're looking through your webcam but they're just literally in the room instead is it you know it's 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 kind of draw i think drawing a line between those that that thing of we are all being surveilled at all times um like we can't really escape it whether whether the people that like have that power to surveil us actually do it or not is a completely different matter um but i think that it's interesting to sort of draw the line between those i wonder if like you were talking about eve about the security cameras whether there's some way in the staging to bring in an element of that of that idea of 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 being watched um that goes beyond just there is an invisible man in your room is there a way of actually showing that surveillance of you well i think part of the it's like the instinctual thing isn't it if 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 you feel like you're being watched and it's it's shown the very first time she thinks someone's there is you're kind of looking at the back of her neck and it's to kind of make you remember that feeling of like this prickling up of the hair on the back of your neck and i think it's it's about showing that but also then creating that sense for the audience so i think it's yeah I'm trying to think of a way that you would create that feeling in an audience member of this constant, you know, not when the lighting's shown, how do you get that sort of feeling for the audience? Yeah. I, I, I wondered about 
something like along the lines of like having screens visible to the audience that show surveillance footage of stuff happening on stage or even like i don't know again if it's if if all we want to achieve is just this sense of like that like yeah hair you know standing up on the back of your neck kind of thing maybe there's some kind of thing of, of putting sound behind the the seating and and like the, that's it but like just really subtly and with that sense of like oh there's something behind me um or even having like i mean we'll get on to talking about how we actually do the invisible man on stage but um even having like something like the invisible man coming on stage through the audience and like their sense of like, Oh, like, Oh, there's movement happening in the audience behind me. I can feel that there's movement happening. And that, that feeling as well being one mm-hmm. of like anxiety and, and, and that sense of being watched. I, yeah. I wonder if there's a way of doing all of that or even bringing it outside of the performance. So maybe even having like, something uh, like w- with the way you do the front of house and the coming into the theater there's maybe something there of having like big surveillance screens up that are watching people as they come into the theater and mm, i like that you you know when like the like the ushers or the like the front of house staff are like stood in the auditorium with you when the show starts and like often they, they sit in mm-hmm. for the whole show maybe there's even something you can do with that with like getting actors to do that for the first bit and then like them creating a sense of unease somehow i don't know that might be like too weird or like <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i might 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 get a bit gimmicky at that point yeah exactly yeah but, but i do i really like the sentiment i think this is a good time to bring in and it has to be mentioned the, the stage horror play uh the woman in black yes yeah, um, yeah. because they <laughs> do a lot of what we've already mentioned there is a moment where uh, the woman appears at the back of the auditorium yeah. and she doesn't she doesn't do anything like you know come through the audience and go ooh <laughs> because that wouldn't work no. but but what it does do is is not too it's not like it's not like the last thing that happens i don't think it's like it's kind of like two-thirds of the way through where she appears yeah at the back and then she doesn't come back but the mm-hmm. idea is that it gives you that what we just said which is this idea that it's not like oh i'm watching a flat thing that can't hurt me we can yes. generate that fear by creating the idea that you are inside of you are in the realm of the possible movement of this thing and so we could even just have a similar thing where you know a door opens on its own mm. um, just very loudly or something like that something su- mm-hmm. as subtle as that well as in like a um, door behind you in the auditorium yeah it could oh, just be that at some point Good. at some point as part of it you know a door a tour in the auditorium slams or something or, <laughs> yeah. or even just like um if there are any empty seats you know maybe they can all make maybe they can be set to suddenly all at the same time i don't know whether that doesn't quite work with what's supposed to be saying is happening but you know some something like that i feel like it's quite easy to generate like if you had it where like a row of seats like one at a time flick down and up um or something like that yeah what, um, and that's yeah. i mean great for covid safe <laughs> uh seating as well um because you're gonna have empty seats um but also yeah that's right if we do this we'll do it in the next six months yeah <laughs> but but also like the door sign thing that's really what i love about that as well is if that happened whilst you're watching like any other play that just takes you out of the action you're like oh the door's slamming mm. behind me what's going on but actually if we can mm-hmm. ramp up the tension on stage and then you bring in these external like these things that are beyond that fourth wall there's like a feeling for you that, as the audience is like oh yeah this thing can come from anywhere and that's yeah i really like that i think that's really like a really cool way of using that what should break a suspension of disbelief will actually only heighten the tension i think which is really cool 
Yeah, although again, you have this problem where, I mean, even in The Women in Black, it's a small theatre, but it has a circle and a stools. And when if you are in the circle when you watch it, because I've, I've been lucky enough to see it from both, yeah. um, you you don't know what's going on at that point. <laughs> you don't see it. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is slightly odd. And if if you were doing this in the Olivier, you'd have an even bigger problem where, you know, there's, there's I don't know how many there are, probably there's a hundred doors to that auditorium. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. be, you might have a problem in that sense. Yeah. So maybe those things don't mesh. Well, I, I, I do think part of it is that, like, you just kind of got to accept that some things will be experienced by parts of the audience, other things will be experienced by others. It's just about, mm. like, with a space like the Olivier making sure that you're offering as much to one part of the audience as you are to the other so if you have a door slam here then you have the chair thing happen over over there or whatever you know like finding a way of making an experience that everyone gets a bit of it if that makes sense um Eve yes you brought us this idea so you can (laughs) tell us how do you do an invisible man (laughs) well I was I haven't I have actually thought about this because I think, well, obviously, when you, the, the whole bit when you can then start to see his suit, but you can't completely see his suit. I was thinking, it made me think of, was it the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of The Tempest when they had Ariel like a kind of hologram projection? I don't know if you've seen pictures of that, but they basically kind of made Ariel out of a sort of, I can't, I don't know how they did it. It was kind of like a, a projection that they'd have on the walls. And then they had this hologram, yeah. which I think was attached to something. And so I was, I either thought of that or I think on Britain's Got Talent, like eight years ago, there was a group that were kind of in suits that would glow up, like kind of light up in the dark. But I was thinking for the bit when the suit's kind of flickering, because you don't just want an actor standing there, maybe having something like a hologram or a projection so that it still feels a bit, detached from being a human being because even though it has the outline of a human being the fact it's flickering can sometimes disappear reappear i think you could only do that with holograms i was trying to figure out how to do the do the invisible man with the whole bit with the knife hovering i don't know for that bit so i would love to hear everyone's thoughts on that because i had no idea yes i've just looked it up that that version of ariel's created using 27 projectors and a puppeteer using the projectors which is very cool that's very cool Oh, well, well, we can just do that. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the projection thing does seem like probably the the most effective way of doing this. And then the only moment where you need an actor is really the moment where, like, it gets shot <laughs> and dies. Um, and even then, like, yeah, like, even then, there's probably some kind of stage trickery of bringing the actor up through the floor in where we don't actually see that transition take uh, you, place. Uh, yeah, but... You have that when you can see maybe either all of them or none of them, but these parts, the kind of the kind of the magic of the movie is when you can see part of them. So actually, I lean more towards physical puppetry, where okay. someone is puppeteering part of so what is essentially just a piece of cloth to make it look like it is part of a human. If that makes sense, I yeah, that would be that would be nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I did see this thing recently, which I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not suggesting building an invisible suit, but someone has built <laughs> one of these optical, uh, like invisibility shields. Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Um, where I have not, it will record the background behind you. It's like a riot shield and that kind of like shape and size. It will record that behind right. you and then it will show it on a screen in, in front. Um, surely that only works from one perspective at a time. Yeah. So it's flat on. Yeah. 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 I think it does. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's pretty cool though uh <laughs> it's very cool it's very cool yeah but i think that is that is the limit of real the real possibility of invisibility is right one now at a time. But they, like they do have that thing in um 
can't remember what car it was, but I definitely saw him Top Gear maybe like 10 years ago, like a Range Rover where the driver could be sat watching a sat-nav and the, the passenger could be sat watching a movie on the same screen. Right, yeah, because that's, yeah. So yeah, if you have different perspectives. Yeah. You can show different light to different people. Yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. So maybe you could do that hundreds of times over to lo- lots of different people. Yeah, I don't maybe. reckon we could. But it's, uh, I, <laughs> it's, just, it's just an interesting, an interesting thing I saw recently that's kind of similar. But I don't think we could do it. I, I don't think the technology transfers yeah. to the stage. I mean, with <laughs> with the knife, Eve. I think. I mean, I haven't seen the Cursed Child, but the impression I get is that they make that kind of stuff happen. Yeah, that's in true. The Harry Potter play. I don't know how. So it's not much of an interesting discussion. <laughs> so we get we, uh, we just need a magician, like a, a magician on our team to help help us do all this stuff. Like know how yeah. to get a knife floating and then suddenly fly into someone's hand. So in terms of backstage crew, yeah, John, Jonathan Creek. Yes, <laughs> just get a magician I, on board. I definitely think, in terms of like that specific knife moment where like her sister is killed, um, mm-hmm. there's definitely a way of doing it where the knife leaps up into her hand, maybe using like some kind of magnets or something like that. Like there's definitely a way of doing that. And then you could even make it like just rewrite that moment slightly where the invisible man forces her hand to kill her sister, maybe. Oh, that could be a good way to, yeah, to get around it. Yeah. So you could, we could have the sort of visual trick of the knife leaping into her hand, but then the moment where she actually kills her, we don't actually have a floating knife do that, but we have her do it. And I think that could be, first of all, a way of probably making that whole thing more safe to do on stage, but also, Mm -hmm. yeah, a a way of making that like just a little easier. And yeah, and I think that that would probably be even more traumatizing for uh, Cecilia as well. Like, yeah, maybe something in doing that. Clearly this woman needs to be traumatized more. Like, let's make a more traumatizing (laughs) experience for this character. (laughs) Um, Maybe you could just have someone like under, if it was really low budget, just someone under the table, just like... (laughs) does it and then the knife gets thrown across has <laughs> some kind of comedy comedy version of it <laughs> there's definitely a, there is definitely a comedy version of this that we could do uh, that I think there is on stage. it wasn't oh, yeah. a TV series of the invisible man that was a comedy my, oh, when I told my parents possibly. I was doing this film earlier they thought that the 1933 film was a comedy and it's definitely not but they, well, the 33 version I yeah, don't know. and they yeah. they thought it was. It's not. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, I imagine that means that I think there was a seventies TV show. I reckon that was the. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. And none of us have read the H.G. Wells novel, have we? No, no it's loosely, no, very not. loosely based on. Wait, so are we saying, or are we saying projection or puppetry, <laughs> or a mixture? I, th- I think mm, I would lean towards the projections for the bit when it's when he's flickering because I I think the one thing about it is that puppetry feels this sounds stupid but the puppetry feels like too material and physical whereas for the invisible man until he like until the bit when you see like him as a kind of whole man you're meant to feel like he's it's still not quite real and so the problem i think with puppetry is it might make it feel a bit too physical i I, does that make sense do i mean like you need there still needs to be that sense of detachment i think when his suit's like flickering i get that like the sort of the the immaterialness of him is is something that's terrifying because i like part of what's so good about this film is like that suffocating feeling for um cecilia is that like she she knows what's happening but she can't tell anyone Mm -hmm. because she can't no one would ever believe it and so like the more immaterial it feels i think 
almost like it is this fine line of like you want it to almost feel unbelievable so that like when she's in this situation where no one will believe her you believe that they wouldn't believe her does that make sense <laughs> yeah no i agree i tied yeah. myself in knots there but <laughs> i actually think it's somewhere that's actually somewhere where the film kind of fails in the sense that it there are just moments that it's like well no but she didn't hit her you know and they were there uh, to see that yeah, she didn't hit, you I know and things like that well, I, I understand because the, the, got... the brain makes things make sense etc well, that's et cetera, the thing but... if you got hit by someone invisible like you're just going to be like who was near me that person there they were near me yeah. they probably yeah. hit me yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. That no, makes sense for sure for sure but anyway uh, back to the play I think I think with the projection, the stipulation that I'd want is I'd want to create some kind of transparent surfaces in and around the set where things could be projected on so that yeah. we weren't always thinking, okay, yeah, projecting onto the back of whatever is nearest, you know, oh, yeah, he's on the kitchen wall, is he? You know, like some kind of Peter Pan shadow. <laughs> Whereas, and, and I, that would be my issue that it would kind of be like, well, it'd be like like that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so we lose the kind of fear of like this. This is a physical threat because a two D shape is not a physical threat. Yeah, right. that's a that's a good point. Um, I did think about like a, a way of doing it, <laughs> like um, <laughs> where it's like a a guy in a full like um, what what are those suits that like. They're, they're like one color and they cover your whole body and they're really a tight. morph suit oh yeah that's it morph suit yeah like a guy <laughs> who's in a morph suit <laughs> that's the same color as your background and then you project <laughs> onto the guy bits of the body <laughs> sorry <It's> just, <laughs> i mean it's a terrible idea <laughs> <laughs> this is like back to like the low budget fringe version of um yeah, yeah. of the invisible man <laughs> i mean we laugh about it but it, i don't know i'm thinking about say like uh beetlejuice the musical which isn't trying to take anything seriously but it still managed to do things like make people suddenly appear and the way they mm -hmm. do it is they do a bit of a blinding of the audience the, the classic theater horror effect of you know a bright light for a yeah. short amount of time will take time for the audience's eyes to adjust and for a moment they won't be able to see anything and in mm -hmm. that time literally what happens is people wearing the right costume run onto the stage yes and then they run yeah. off again and and so and it works it per works perfectly you you don't see them come on and so i guess there there is something in that if we can create a reason why when we see them there's some kind of bright flash well I, yeah i mean if he's then, got this like high-tech suit that can do anything you could even like just write in that like you know he can you know manipulate it's made of the proton so oh, it no, it, you could like when... <laughs> man, you could manipulate electrical charge around you or something you could like beef up the yeah. lights or something and I don't again know. we get into this thing where i my issue with this film is i'm not quite sure whether it knows whether it's a superhero film or a horror film or a thriller oh, and see, I, yeah. I delve into that um i i do think yeah i guess like that that scene where he um oh well i just realized what that is because the scene where he pulls the bed covers off of um cecilia and sydney uh, there's mm. like a flashing mm -hmm. light and i didn't realize what it was at first but it's obviously it's the when he takes the photos of them yeah he's taking yeah. Actually, that them, yeah. to be honest that for me was probably the scariest moment of the film is the, when she's yeah, up in the attic and then yeah. she opens the phone and it's photos of her oh yeah that makes not, me feel ill nice. <laughs> also there, 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 there was that gimmick though in, in that scene with bag sheets 
where she wakes up and she sees the man and it's like this mannequin with a hat that they yeah. just happen to own in the room. Well, because she, she goes to fashion school, doesn't she? She's going to fashion she school to, as a reason. She wants to do fashion. I, I did not make that connection uh, whatsoever. I was just like, that was you right. never, I, was I was like, you've really never introduced in. that there's a mannequin in this scene. You just put it there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> um, yeah. The thing is that really, fr- I know it shouldn't have done, but that really freaked me out, that mannequin. Like that's the bit that always makes me just, just the least scary bit but i think you're right it's the bit with the i always find it scary the bit with the sheets and you just see the footprints coming slowly towards her on the sheets oh no or the bit with the breath that bit i think i love the bit with the breath and that's because the the less we know the scarier it is right like later on in the film we know it's him and yeah like actually like we get to a point where he's on the back foot like he's been injured and then it becomes less scary um and mm-hmm. more just action just to explain the bit with the breath for those who haven't seen it perhaps is she is she's outside she takes a cold breath of air as you do you kind of can see your the the steam that comes out of your whatever you whatever you call it you can see your breath condensation the cold air. condensation yeah. that's it and then <laughs> to the left of camera we see a second puff of breath and then we pan to the left to see who's there and there's no one there, which I just thought was great. Yeah. Um, I also think, I wonder whether that mannequin bit is also an ode to the 30s version because I think it looks a bit like... I yeah, it's got yeah, the, it's the, the, the bowl hat, hat, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 Where are we? <laughs> I don't, so know, I don't got, think we've answered any questions. We've gone on some lovely uh, we're, tangents. We've got, we've got lots of different ways of doing things in different places and i think this would be a kind of challenge where you wouldn't do it the same way all the time yeah i think i've just realized there's one thing we haven't talked about which i think is quite important is the bit when you know after she's chucked the paint over him turns out it's a it's a bloke in a suit and then he's somehow cleaned all of the paint off that's not explained (laughs) but just not explained apart from he's done it a tap but that fight scene when you can't see him but yeah. she's fat. I, I think that we should kind of talk about that and think about how. Oh yeah, like, we're the- we've just getting started on the effects. That was just how to do him. <laughs> um, yeah, um, there was a part of me that thought that that maybe there's a way of like wiring her up, but yes. on like multiple parts of her body, mm-hmm. um, and and so you can have like she can be thrown and it's safe, and then mm-hmm. also like once she's on the ground, like then you know oh she's been thrown and, and we're like oh we understand she's on wires but then like suddenly her leg gets tugged and it's like i think that would be really exciting for audiences to watch because we know we know how wires work when people fly in theater and stuff so to mm-hmm. then see it being used in like all of these different areas of her body would be quite interesting to see that happen. i think that i think that would be positive like possible and safe enough i think the one that's definitely possible is the kind of lifting up pretending to be strangled thing i think that's quite yes. doable mm-hmm. um I mean, i'm sure the way they did this when they made it would have been with a man in a in a you know a second stunt double in a in a green screen yeah definitely was, mm-hmm. yeah. was then painted out um and then yeah various crash mats and all this kind of stuff and that so that's the thing we could we to make things safe we have to reduce travel i guess yes. yeah, so, yeah yeah i mean again i'm gonna refer to the same few plays i've already spoken about in beetlejuice there's a moment where she lifts up on her own um and basically and I don't know how they quite how they do it, but she doesn't take any time to attach her. So there's but essentially if that could happen, strangling bit could happen against a wall, then that's yes. quite easy to do. As far as the stuff on the floor, I feel like with a you know with good choreography and good you know because real you know play, um, fight directors 
teach people how to seem like they've been hit by the person they're being hit by when mm-hmm. they actually haven't. And so yeah. removing the person pretending to do the hitting shouldn't have any effect, actually. Yeah. It shouldn't yeah. change how the fight choreography works. And so most of that should be able to be done just because the actor is good at doing that. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's things like the plates. You can build plates that snap you know, yeah. the shatter when you press something on the back. And yeah, again, yeah, yeah. the other play I'd, I'd refer to again is is Harry Potter, again, without seeing it. I'm pretty sure there's some smashing plates in that or flying plates around the place. Yeah. Um, so I think it is, I think that bit actually is almost the most previously done bit, if that makes sense. In yeah, terms of I guess the only thing I was saying about was like when she's like, she, she, she'll be like dragged by her feet and then suddenly dragged by her hair and then suddenly dragged by one arm. And mm. I was just, I think there is a way of wiring her up so that like she can be dragged in those different directions. Definitely. Um, I watched recently that the national theater version, one of the versions of Peter Pan, the trouble is the national theater puts it on like almost every year. So it's one of the versions from a couple of years ago where it's, it's sort of like, it's like this sort of circusy vibe to the whole thing. And they, they have like, I counted like seven or eight different ways of wiring people up to fly. So every time they fly, it's like almost wow. a different way of them flying. So like Peter Pan flies with like quite a traditional harness, but then some of them, it will be like on like a bungee cord that is attached to just one part of their body and stuff. So I definitely think there's a way of building some kind of harness that would allow her to be dragged in all of these different directions. And each time it feel like someone is physically pulling her from a different part of her body, which I think would be an interesting way of like doing that. Okay, right? okay so I'll set as a black curtain and we just have Cirque du Soleil come in, dress them all in black, yes. and just and literally just trapeze. Just trapeze her around. And just chuck her around. <laughs> I think we need I think we need a circus in this. We've got the magicians for all the magic tricks. We've got yes. Cirque du Soleil in the background. So maybe we just Perfect. get a circus on board and that's that's that solves everything. <laughs> I'm still thinking about where so I just was sitting there trying to figure out how he got the paint off him and it's really bugging me. But then I was <laughs> oh, thinking, yeah. the tap I comes was... <laughs> on and he's immediately clean. Yeah, it makes no sense. No, but I was just trying to figure out how you would do that bit on the stage because at that point there has to be a reveal of there being a man there. And so, well, whether that has yeah. to be or not, we can debate. But I was thinking maybe the something that could be done is is use water. So I don't know why there'd be a bucket of water up in the attic, but let's just say hypothetically there was. If she can drop a bucket of water over, again, that's why I don't know if a hologram would work or some kind of projection, that it, it, it kind of goes around. And then that could also be interesting because then when she goes to that part of the kitchen to have followed like some wet footprints and obviously the wet footprints would then dry off. I'm kind of just trying to sort out that plot hole in the movie as, a pot, like, as opposed to thinking yeah, about yeah. a specific... I do, yeah, I'm not sure. I guess because the way I guess the way that you could do the paint is like Jake was talking about earlier with the the blinders, the lights sort of to blind the audience for a, for a moment. And mm. you could definitely do that where you could have a moment where like maybe she accidentally like flicks up her torch and it blinds herself or something and you okay. blind the audience at the same moment or something along those lines um and that could work but yeah um, yeah maybe doing it with, with water could be an interesting way of yeah just fixing this thing that he's covered in paint and then he's immediately got no paint on him whatsoever i just well, i was just thinking because i think actually something that could make it a bit scarier would be say maybe it's just and also it might make it easy to stage would be maybe it's just like one part of the body is covered in something so it could be the hand and I think it'd be quite interesting if like she throws something and there's just this kind of hand there and then that runs off because then it kind of it just I think it kind of adds a bit more fear than this thing just having paint chucked over it okay so what about this then okay so she's over the ladder 
mm-hmm. with either the paint or the water. And and then I think two possibilities. So she pours the water down the ladder. Let's assume we've got this kind of big set set up so that we can actually see her in an attic and we can see the floor below. Mm-hmm. Two options, I think. One, the thing we've already talked about, where we pour the maybe water makes the most sense for for the audience's minds, and that kind of you know that water's bad for electricity it's an electric thing and it sparks somehow and then we blind them and then we actually get an actor on stage for a second and then there's another spark and then they're gone again something along mm-hmm. those lines or with the paint or whatever as you say if, you, if you're doing one body part the ladder could perhaps if we're far away enough and in the olivier if we're talking about that then we probably are most of the time the ladder could have like a glass hand attached to it that you can't really tell is there Ooh, and yeah. then when she pours that paint or, or water down oh, then it appears man. and then we can come up again with some reason why that can get taken off or disappear or well he 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 knocks the ladder oh yes exactly so we can see it and then the ladder can get knocked over that would be so cool as well because you can even do it rather than her just spilling paint she decides to pour paint to see if he's there and pour it slowly and you see like and maybe like a the whole hands, arm yeah and then it, and then the ladder just knocks like you know you can obviously have the ladder pull o- be pulled over by something so then you just have the ladder fall over and then like it's as if that's immediately disappeared that would be really really effective I think yeah I think yeah I think just having a small part it saves a whole bit in the kitchen because then also the whole bit in the kitchen he can just be you know completely invisible yeah no I like that I like the hand thing awesome okay loads of other stuff to talk about we might be a bit selective um, yeah we've got the fact that a girl gets punched and immediately i mean there's that whole trope in movies where people immediately develop black eyes despite the fact that it takes ages so i guess we can just <laughs> say that that trope doesn't exist um, yep. so i guess that one fixes that one and then uh we've got loads of stuff we've got oh we've got cops being like shot by invisible guns yeah man <laughs> yeah it's crazy oh no visible guns by invisible hand i um, i think a lot of it w- would have to be uh, I mean, there, there's just a thing in the film that the Invisible Man is just, this guy is just insanely strong. Um, like, he's just yeah. too strong. But um, I think you could in definitely In a way do that it. makes the bit at the end where she makes him kill himself strange. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she's really strong as well. We don't know. Um, but <laughs> Everyone's just really hench. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, like, with the guns, it, rather than having floating guns, I think you just do it where, like, all of the, the security guys, like, have the gun forced on them, their own gun. Mm. Or even mm-hmm. have, like, one of the guards his arm is forced around to shoot two other guards or something and then forced on himself or something like that definitely doing that and I, and I think you can make that re- like you know any decent actor can make it obvious to the audience that they're doing something against their own will in that scenario just in the way they tense their body so I think you could probably do that pretty convincingly um, yeah floating gun becomes probably almost certainly like goofier looking on stage <laughs> the gun on a string yeah. going round. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just, just going up and down. Like. <laughs> Honestly, there, there was a moment where I wrote down when I was watching this movie, I wrote, um, I wrote, oh, so he's not a ghost, he's Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> In the sense that it's like... He basically is, yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about that bit, this bit though, when they're, they're in this fight with the police and they're all turning around, shooting them, kind of being made to shoot themselves. But then also, isn't that the bit when the suit's flickering? So we'd have to figure out yeah. how to incorporate that. So there would be parts when it would be completely invisible. But then how would you kind of go between sometimes being able to see the suit, sometimes not being able to see it? Because I think the problem with that is if you've got this at one point you might have this arm trying to force someone to shoot themselves but then another point it's not there so i'm just trying to figure out how you would it would just have to be like very 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 precise choreography yeah so 
you can have and i think like it would be necessarily a slower pace to the action than you mm-hmm. would see in the film the film is like like either lots of swift movements of the camera or like there are quite quick cuts as well and it makes the the pace of the action feel very exciting i think on stage you're what you would have to be doing is building these like sort of mini tableaus like and and that's how the action work go from one to the other so there could be a mm-hmm. moment where like we see a security guard like go to shoot him and then his arm gets forced and at that moment the arm stops and then we see like projected like the flicker of the body near like near enough so that he could be holding that hand conceivably if that makes sense so it should mm-hmm. be about choreographing really really precisely exact movements and then being able to like build the choreography uh, build the sorry the projection so that it follows the choreography of those on stage in order to line those things up which would be hard but like you know that's i, I mean like that's how they would choreograph dance to be as precise as that in a musical for example yeah. in terms of yeah, yeah, yeah and you stage. probably would you'd have music underneath as well to work as a beat i, I guess yeah. i maybe have two well i have one other suggestion and then something else yeah so i wonder whether this this scene takes place in like really harsh fluorescent light yeah, um, that can be very directed, and I wonder if there's a way in which instead of making the body appear, we can we can just make up something where what this suit does is it kind of I don't know sucks and bends light or whatever. And so what we can have is instead of the actual person appearing, maybe we could make very specific areas like suddenly dark and then light again, and maybe that yeah. would give that mm-hmm. effect. I don't know. Another thing is, Eve, did you have an idea to maybe just change? the second half of the film entirely well i i did a little bit i think i've changed my mind now when i said that to you i was like i think they should leave it in the asylum i think that when i was watching the film like you were saying earlier the one thing that i found a little bit frustrating about is that you said it can't really decide whether it's a thriller or it's a superhero movie and i think the problem that they had with this film is because they had the constraints of they're basically trying to, because did you read about how um, Universal had made like the mummy? They tried to kind of turn it into this big franchise that then failed. And then they've, mm. they've tried to do that again with this movie where there is this kind of figure and they're going to, I think they wanted to make a sequel or something. And I think if it didn't have the title or the kind of constraints that this kind of producers had put on it of it being this movie, I think it, the first half of the film works so well because the only person that sees these things happening is her. So even when she sees a suit or maybe a hand or something like that, it's still a little bit creepy because you know she's on, I think she isn't she on some kind of medication and there's still maybe that to an extent, a bit of belief that maybe this isn't real. And I just, I remember watching it and thinking the first time round, I thought if they just left it in that bit in the asylum, there's a bit when she's screaming at everyone saying, you know, he's there, he's literally standing right there. And then I think he says surprise and she blacks out. And I just remember watching it thinking, if you just wanted this to be a thriller, that would be a perfect ending with just not showing the suit. But then on stage, you kind of want to, uh, it's quite cool to show the suit and have the technical side of it. So it's, yeah, I think it's the the fact they didn't decide upon the genre that it's almost like yeah. watching two different films. I, I think that th- there's a number of plays that, that use an interval as an opportunity for a tonal or a, or a mm. genre shift. And I think the perfect place to place the interval in this is the moment after her sister is killed and she's arrested. And so actually to have this first act feel like this tense thriller and then have the second act be this sort of like action packed 
um, special effect heavy, um, you know, different, almost different genre to be in a whole second act on its own, starting with her being dragged into the, into the, um, asylum. I think mm. that actually a theater audience would be much more willing to forgive that shift in genre that takes place. Um, cause I mean, yeah, I, I personally didn't have the same issue with it as, as you guys. I, I quite liked how it sort of shifted in that second half. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can understand that it, yeah, it, it feels strange and it feels like it doesn't quite go in the direction you expect it to. But I do think in some ways that, that catharsis at the end of her defeating the invisible man and doing it twice. So like defeating the invisible man. And then there's this trope in like uh, uh, classic horror movies that like mm-hmm. the female that has been persecuted and like hunted down by a male then uses that same tool that the man was using to hunt her to then kill him at the end that's you know that's used in lots and lots of horror films often it'll be a knife you know she's been chased with a knife and eventually she gets the knife and she kills the man with the knife and it there's a kind of sort of feminist statement in that i think and i think the idea that she uses the invisible suit to defeat him like at the end finally i think there's an important catharsis in that and i i like that a lot but yeah i wonder whether an interval would um help that that shift feel more natural and and yeah and so like really and i think it then gives you an opportunity to really like heighten the sense of it being a thriller in that first half and then heighten the sense of it being this sort of action heavy special effects heavy exciting like yeah no i mean not quite superhero but like a sort of action piece in the second half and and there's a way of like using that the interval as like a bridge for those two genres maybe um yeah that might work better on stage yeah i think i think on film for me, it's about how I approach the viewing experience, and and that is those specific genres that, that that clash so much for me. I think when I'm watching horror, I am having a fight to try and not be sucked in to my suspension of disbelief because if I do, then I'll get scared, you know. And, I'll, <laughs> yeah. and so when I'm when I'm watching horror, I'm kind of having that fight with myself internally. Whereas when I'm watching a an action film, I'm trying to be as invested as possible because if I take myself out of it, I'll think this is stupid so yeah yeah, and so i I think that's the problem is that i didn't know which one to do and so and that i think for me that was why i struggled with this particular genre mesh yeah 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 i think i because i i think when i was watching it like there was when i was kind of looking at horror at university there's kind of a difference between terror and horror and i think the first half of the film relies on terror. So this idea of not seeing exactly what's there, but just this feeling of, you know, being mm. watched, this kind of suspense. And then I think what I found is as soon as you've got this paint and you can see the figure, then it shifted to horror where, you know, there's she's being dragged around, her sister's throat's being slit, the guards are being shot. So even though you, you still can't see the invisible man completely at that point, it's much more kind of graphic. And I think that was the thing for me. It just... I felt like it lost that sense of dread, that sense of terror once Mm. you've kind of been revealed. But then I think you're right, actually. I I kind of forgot about the fact that you can just have an interval in a play and it does, yeah, it probably would solve that problem because I I don't think you'd want to remove the suit because I think you could do so many good things with the suit in the second half. Like visually, it would just be great to see. So yeah, an interval solves it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of a specific play that, that does um as an example that does like a real like sense of shift between the first and second act certainly i remember what watching a production of an ideal husband by oscar wilde and the first half 
like really felt like this sort of um political drama and the second half like was much much funnier and it kind of like used the first half but then sort of took the mick out of all of the ideas that it had brought up in the first half mm-hmm. um and i'm not sure to be honest like it was quite a number of years since I've seen it and probably someone could correct me and say actually the first half is is really funny and there's lots of comedy in it but I, I distinctly remember there being a really different feel to the second act than to the first act so yeah I think there's definitely a, a precedent for that yeah I don't know I guess I do think about limiting the action to just that asylum space so the the fight that happens in the car park mm-hmm. I actually think that's a moment where it goes beyond and it begins to feel more like this sort of like actiony superhero genre um whereas whilst we're in the asylum that's a space that we associate with horror and it's and Mm -hmm. so having this like all of it take place there i think would be yeah would heighten that sense of like fear and then bringing that back straight to james's house rather than doing all this stuff outside again it's like a familiar space that we've already seen the unknown there now that we know what that is to see that play out would be interesting as well so maybe it's about cutting down the settings that are used as well um and and making it yeah more theatrical in that sense as well i'm just thinking about the bit in james's house when she shoots the figure who's i can't remember the the brother's name but it turns out it's the brother in that specific invisible suit and i'm actually tom i think yeah i think it's tom and I'm, i'm actually just thinking about that bit so you've got this whole fight scene we could do that fairly easily like with the other ones but then the bit when the figure is shot and it becomes the the man in the suit and it falls kind of flat. I'm just thinking about how you would do that because at that point you, it needs to be physical. It needs to be kind of real. You can't just have this projection flickering anymore. So how she's going to shoot basically into nothingness and then a man appear. I'm just trying to figure out a way that you'd do that. Yeah. I mean, I guess that is a moment where you can have the shot be taken and you can blind the audience with lights at that Mm. moment. Mm -hmm. And, And actually you could have it, in in the film, there's like four shots very quickly, but you have the first shot is slow, and then the next three are much quicker. So it's like first shot, then she realizes she's shot him, but mm-hmm. he's still up, he's not fallen yet, and then mm-hmm. she shoots him three more times. And so there's a a little gap in there where you can bring someone on. Um, and like you know, like we talked about, if if there's two sides to this set, you've got the side that is James's house, the side that is the asylum. Mm-hmm. You could even insert a fake door in between the two that yeah. you can just slip through to just appear very quickly. Yeah, if in all these action scenes the set is actually spinning around, then that creates a lot more space to like introduce people quickly, for sure. Yeah. Sorry, my brain. You know, when your brain just goes to weird places. I was just thinking about you know back in the asylum, the bit when there's the police officers being kind of stuck in this fight, and I just went back to the if this. Was was like a low budget fringe show in my head i was thinking how would you do this and i just thought i had this image in my head of like like a a screen you know you have those screens you can put like a hand through it so they'd just be like this hand floating in the background like holding a gun i was just thinking just loads of them but then i realized how daft that would look (laughs) (laughs) just like a hand it would definitely it would be a look it would be a yeah This you know what that reminds car, me of yeah. the um the if you go to it's not there anymore actually the the 4d shrek ride at universal studios <laughs> in california i don't know if you've ever seen that but you know like the mirror mirror on the wall from i think yeah. it's from shrek the third possibly and it's just like this like hologram in a mirror that's just like oh hello it's me i have hands and a face and it's just kind of there on the wall of this <laughs> of this theme park ride. Um, i think there are two more difficulties in transferring this from film to this that i'd like to talk about Mm -hmm. one of those is the sense of time um 
So, I mean, the the movie opens after it has established the setting. It, it does a two weeks later cliche, um, mm-hmm. which I Caleb did. It actually suggest, come up saying two weeks it later. It did. It does actually it, say I think two, it weeks is, later, yeah, two weeks later. Oh, um, gross! Which I didn't is even notice that. yeah, which is it's cheating. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, uh, but you've already suggested Caleb that we kind of just cut that opening bit and we just talk about it, which is again is the much way more the way I would do space. it is the mo- the moment where the sister comes round and they talk about how he abused her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would open with that. The sister arrives, and at that moment, she talks about how she escaped, and then from there, can lead into a conversation about how he abused her. Yeah, um, and I think that that would yeah feel really natural, work quite well, um, and be a good opener as well because I think it builds, begins to build tension around who this figure of Adrian was before we then find out that he's dead. I know. Yeah, we don't see his face until the end, actually, even in the film. Um, and I yeah. also like the idea of starting every good place starts with a conversation around dinner table. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, we love that. Um, but yeah, but I think the the bigger issue for me is is this other sense of of time where we have the, it happens in loads of horror movies where what happens is something really incredibly scary happens and then we cut to the next morning or we cut to school yeah, or we cut to yeah. two hours later because really it doesn't we don't really care about seeing the half an hour it takes them to calm down. We've seen they were scared. That's it. We'll leave them to it and we'll come back to them when they're feeling better or we'll go and see what, how someone else is getting on now. And I, most horror films do that, but it's something that's really hard mm. to do in theater without being like blackout. Um, which, <laughs> yeah. Again, I mean, it's I, cheating. So I wonder whether we can make this a completely linear timeline. I don't know if that's a possibility. I think so much, so much of this, I would try to, put into some kind of real time so i I would do this opening scene where we basically find out about what it's all about um but then i would skip from there i would skip to uh you know uh, well maybe this is you know that scene could be happening a couple of weeks you know like three or four weeks after the initial her escaping Mm -hmm. and then you could even like cut to the next like that night or the next night or something but just do that through a blackout but then from there, I would try and go for, through like work in real time and have this feeling of, oh, you've got to do that law stuff as well with the. Uh, yeah, they <laughs> just the, keep cutting to San Francisco. That is, that's one of the issues. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I guess, I guess it's about, I, I would try at least, I would try and reduce the number of scenes for sure, but scenes that like bleed into each other, but there's clearly a, a some time between them, I would just have them all play out in real time, personally. So, like, you know, when she's, like, talking to Sydney and then, uh, you know, Sydney's out and then the Invisible Man appears and she's on her own in the house with him and all that, I would have that all all just play out in real time in one long scene. Same with all of the second act in the asylum. Mm -hmm. I would have that whole thing play out in real time. So I would have the first scene of the second act, she gets dragged on and then there's a blackout and then just straight in. This is, she's been in the asylum for a few weeks. Like we just, you know, you don't even need to say that. Like we just know she's been Mm -hmm. there for a while. And then, um, and then like this whole thing plays out in real time is is the way I would do it. Yeah. I like that. Do you have any thoughts, Eve? Um, well, I'm just thinking about the end bit as well, because there's a bit when, so the brother gets shot, he's dead. And then would you have some kind of blackout between the brother being dead, finding out it was the brother, well, supposedly the brother, and then the bit, because there's that whole, and this bit did really annoy me in the film, the whole bit of Adrian just being locked up in his house behind this wall. Again, yeah. no, I, no idea at all how he got himself behind that wall. But I'm just trying to think about how you would, if you'd have to have some kind of blackout, in between yeah. 
I think you'd have Again, to have I think something. All of that, you can't, we couldn't suddenly cut to that big house just no. for that scene, just to have that happen. It, it would need to either move to speech or, or, or Yeah, cut I, I or think we something. would find out from James in that moment where he's like almost delivering like a debrief to her after the police mm-hmm. report, if that makes sense. I, I, w- I think that would all happen in dialogue. And doing that scene in the police station, you know, you can just do that at a desk, like on the corner of the stage, whilst you change the set to be, you know, that final scene in, um, in Adrian's house. I do think as well, like, yeah, it's interesting because the end of the film, I don't think it necessarily confirms that he was definitely invisible the whole time. If that, does that make sense? Or well, that he, he was, has the voice of the person that said surprise. Yeah, it's a surprise, I guess so. bit, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. But I guess also, like, to me, it was also like, even if he wasn't invisible, he's also just like a garbage bloke and she needs to, you know, it, it's made yeah. clear that he's trying to manipulate her again. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's just her escaping his manipulation as well. Yeah, there's the um, POV shot of the hand on the on the thigh, which is a very, like, yeah this man yeah. is not nice kind of shot <laughs> yeah I, I mean i guess you'd have to put some kind of blackout in between but i guess in setting this smaller you know police office scene and learning the information through dialogue there could maybe mean that we, we avoid having to see any big set changes because you just draw the attention of the audience to one small area of the stage before setting up that final scene that's kind of what happens isn't it in the in the film where like you they, they have that shot of going to the house but then you're right he just tells her anyway so we you don't even need that shot of him going to the house yeah I, I guess yeah it, it is just cinema making the most of it being cinema and and i guess on stage you just have to work with with uh with what you have yeah i think that is the difficulty is that in film you can go oh my gosh everyone's in so much pain bam now it's been a while and everyone's okay again it's all calmed mm-hmm. down whereas on yeah. stage if everyone if everyone you know that scene happened and then everyone kind of got up and moved to the next thing it would look <laughs> so yeah. bad i guess it is just about it's just streamlining some of these scenes though so that it feels like in the film we, we get given a lot of breathing room between each of these disturbing set pieces and i kind of think on stage just don't give that breathing room just moves like barrel straight on through to the next the mm-hmm. next terrifying thing in this particular last th- thing, you could have, you know, the shots happen, we discover it's Tom, we say that out loud because no, none of the ones will be able to see his face, and then we'll, mm-hmm. and you could keep using the revolve and maybe have loads of police people come on and, and you know, spin around her and everything is very, very dazzling. And by the time the kind of big commotion has come to an end, then we realize time has passed. I wonder whether that would work. So yeah. instead of having a blackout, yeah, because if we're having a revolving stage, then you can just carry on having it. Spinning round, spinning yeah. round, spinning round. Almost like a clock in a way, isn't it? With a Yes, it is the metaphor post <laughs> We love it. <laughs> revolving the stage to like, you know, distract the audience with some other action just makes me think of um the Bitchorn Web, the number wang thing where he gets them to revolve the stage and then there's two guys playing <laughs> Russian roulette on the other side. <laughs> I mean, the last thing I wanted to talk about was was the pictures on the phone screen, just because that's always a problem on theatre, but in mm-hmm. theatre rather. But I think I think we could either find a way to do that or show it, or I don't know. It's, or it's don't. I just I, yeah, yeah, she can just be horrified in her response to the phone. I mean, don't necessarily need to know what was on there. It's just something disturbing. But also, actually, what we would see is we would see a figure taking photos of her while she's in bed, so we would know that he's taken photos of her beforehand. Anyway. Mm. 
Um, so it's almost like we get that reveal earlier on, but then she finds out about it. Oh man, it still gives me shivers just thinking about yeah, that. Oh, yeah, we would have cool. to make a would we make a phone float. I don't understand, quite understand how it works, to be honest. Um, they don't really explain whether no. what he touches is also invisible. Uh, it no, because do- it's not, um, is it? Because he when he picks up the knife and when he picks up the gun, it's not invisible but when it's convenient for the plot it is invisible and i think that's maybe what he's got did. pockets <laughs> maybe he's got a pocket for a phone invisible but not for pockets. a, a gun it. <laughs> um, yeah it's interesting isn't it and i but then again like in that scene we're not supposed to yet know whether it's real and the camera hides it from us and yeah. again if we could see if we could see very clearly that there was a phone then maybe he's just we... holding it behind his back so she can't see it <laughs> maybe that's what's happening <laughs> i guess that works yeah yeah it would yeah yeah i mean and finally i just want to acknowledge how awesome the sound design is in parts of this film I, we've kind of already said it to an extent with the sound being from outside the space but there's a moment in the beginning where she goes outside for the first time and um suddenly we can hear his bass and we can't hear any of the mm. normal sounds um, mm, that mm. you'd be able to hear i mean i just want to acknowledge like how sick it is that this film cost seven million dollars to make i know which I, is was, just I was insane. shocked by that i was honestly Our stage adaptation would be more expensive than yeah <laughs> yeah well that's the thing right i actually just can't believe that he's you know like lee Warnold like managed to make this film on that budget is that just blows my mind that is this it looks like a film that like it doesn't look like a, a high budget film but it looks like a film that cost at least 30 million dollars it's yeah well crazy. particularly if you think how much they'd have spent on the suit and then like if there's a man in a kind of green morph suit kind of editing him out i just thought all the money would have gone on that so it's quite yeah. well that's yeah. an interesting one because yes maybe yeah the edit the painting out maybe might i don't know i don't exactly know how that works but i think what is interesting is the the suit itself that it, we do see the camera mm. suit is basically like um featureless human model black mm. with some small details on which is in cgi terms like as simple as you can get yeah, it's um, like the cheapest thing. Film, yeah. yeah, which is yeah, again, really, really clever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the whole thing is—it's a cleverly made film. I understand. I I appreciate your guys' critiques of it. I, I think I enjoyed it more than more than that actually. But oh, I oh, surprised yeah. myself at first. I just all I could think about was I I recently watched. Um, this is so unrelated so you can cut this <laughs> I recently <laughs> watched The Untouchables by Brian De Palma, and he does this whole like. Um, you know, his part of like his whole sort of visual language is people looking at other people, and there's a really like creepy um se- sequence in that where someone is like peering in the windows of someone's flat, and then they climb in to go and stab them, and it is like so unsettling. And mm-hmm. the whole thing is done through the point of view of the person who's breaking into the the person's flat. Oh, I don't um, like that. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, I was expecting this film to like be more like that, like that sort of Brian De Palma style of like point, lots of point of view and lots mm-hmm. of point of view from the Invisible Man, and it didn't. But which, I, yeah, for me, I, I felt the first half was weaker because of like I, I thought it was going to do something like that. But overall, I was, I was very impressed by the whole thing. But anyway, yeah. you just cut all of that, Jake, because it's just not <laughs> no, relevant. No, I think it's good. We, are, I do. We, we all like talking about films, even though we always remind ourselves not to talk about the film too much we do like talking yes. about the films um, and <laughs> you know yeah we can say sometimes we say we don't like a film this one yeah go it's on uh, now tv and sky and things so if you have any of those go go watch it i just have one I, I just have one final point because you know i just kind of have changed my mind a bit about something when we said we cut that initial bit but jake you know when you were talking about the sound design of this film what i thought yeah. was 
so amazing about the first scene in the film was the fact that it wasn't i think a lot of films when someone's breaking out or trying to sneak away from somewhere it's completely silent and then you might have a noise here and noise there and obviously it still has that with the noises but what this does is it has the waves in the background so you have this background noise of the waves and then you have her knocking things and, and it's just actually instead of it being isolated sounds it just ends up becoming quite intense because there's so much noise going on and every time she hits something you're reminded of this background noise and i just think that sound design works so well i actually wonder if you'd want to keep that first scene and kind of do that yeah. where you overwhelm the audience with the sounds like it does in the film there yeah the, i mean the whole thing the whole atmosphere that's being created in that scene that then carries over is like that feeling of suffocation that she feels mm-hmm. um I think that, yeah, I think you're right. I think the sound in that sequence definitely sort of triggers that emotion. So there's, there's probably something in, in using some of that, um, on stage. Um, whether you do it like that or whether even you just bring in that sound design, like underneath her delivering a monologue about how she escaped. Mm. Um, you know, she can describe, she can describe all of those things and then we hear them taking place in the environment around us. Maybe there's a way of, of yeah Ooh, getting the, and that's yeah, interesting because like it kind of introduces this concept of like we hear things happen that aren't happening physically in Ooh. that scene and we're thinking <laughs> oh yeah cool so we're like hearing it but you know we're just we're hearing it because she's describing it oh that's an interesting effect and then we keep using that effect for a completely invisible purpose. man yeah um, which is an interesting use no, of I, stuff yeah. that's yeah, my analysis i, so. I like <laughs> yeah. that good idea <laughs> um eve thank you so much that was absolutely fascinating and you know what we've had a run of some kind of goofy not quite sure what to do with this films recently so i was really looking forward to getting into this more meaty one and and i think we've achieved that so thank you so much that's all right i think we've done an all right job actually yeah yeah <laughs> like i mean i guess we have this almost every week but like there's obviously still questions to be answered and this is just like that first hour of like uh, research and development you would do on something but i feel like mm. there's there's some strong ideas there to develop no no it's done no no we're it's done. Oh, no right, more, okay. no more Let's stage that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Let's no, do yeah, it. yeah. Sending it's those out. We're just sending this podcast out, and then that's it. No one, no one is allowed to ask any more questions. No further questions. Um, okay. Eve, is there anywhere people can find you online? Are you up to anything right now? Where can people find those those audiobooks? Tell us about stuff. Well, I'm not really online because I like to keep my privacy. So you can find me on Facebook if you're that bothered, but uh, I don't have anything else. Um, <laughs> and, um, the audiobooks. So, I mean, it's after Christmas, isn't it? But maybe people just want to relive those. Well, no one really wants to relive any part of 2020. But on Spotify, there is something called The Twelve Tales of Christmas by Northern Broadsides. Now, the first kind of half are Christmassy stories, but the second half are more just commissioned writing there's new year's stories some of them aren't really Christmassy at all towards the end so if you just want to listen to a free story it's on there we've got some really good actors we've got um sam barnett's reading one leslie sharp read another one can't remember any anyone else off the top of my head but yeah find me on facebook if you're that bothered about talking to me but you won't find me anywhere else so fantastic thank you so much eve that's all right caleb where can people find you online uh, I am online at Caleb Lebster um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Um, that's C A L E B L E B S T E R. Yep. I'm trying, <laughs> for some reason, I thought I had something to plug, but I don't. So I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> Jake, where can people find you online? People can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Jake Reesh. That's J A K E R E E 
SH. And I guess we do have something to plug, Caleb, and that is yes. that is the half hour comedy hour, which we released yes. on the twenty seventh of December two thousand and twenty. However, it's still there. You can it's, you yeah. can watch it on YouTube. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcast. It's so loosely attached to Christmas. <laughs> it's kind of Christmassy. But you know Barely. what? It's not it's not like like the sketches aren't festive. <laughs> you will still enjoy it when it is not Christmas time. Yeah. So I yeah. you know, you still go still go listen, still go donate to the gatehouse, for whom we have raised I think just over three hundred and fifty pounds. So um we're very happy about that. And yeah, so you can you can find out how to listen at www.maybelikeit.co.uk slash half hour comedy hour all one word. Um but yeah, I did remember the thing I was gonna mention was just Oh the, go on, um, go ahead. Well, it's just that I do, I do a, a second podcast, which is also on hiatus for, I, I don't know how long, but, um, but there's other episodes to go back and listen to that are more film related. So if you enjoyed me rambling on about film, if Jake decided to keep that bit in, <laughs> you can listen to that. It's, it's called Do Try This at Home. It's wherever you get your podcasts. And, um, and we, we take mediocre films. So, uh, you know, stuff that's, you know, you, you think, oh, there's a possibility that this could be good, but uh, it doesn't quite come off. And we and we talk about uh, how we would fix those films. We're basically saving cinema one film at a time. Um, so if you're interested in, in that, then go <laughs> look that up in wherever you get your podcasts. Fantastic. Thank you, Caleb. Um, it's great. Yeah. I can vouch. I have no bias whatsoever. It's great. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but otherwise, we are Maybe Like It Productions, and this is the Maybe Like It podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Maybe Like It with the letter U, or on Facebook at Maybe Like It with the word you or you can visit our website www.maybelikeit.co.uk or you can drop us an email at info at maybe you like and if you enjoyed this episode please don't forget to rate us and leave a little review wherever you get your podcasts and otherwise maybe you like that maybe you didn't surprise That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't. That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't.